So the name um, actually came from the idea itself. There's a house song called Jubel by a guy called Klingander and uh, they would always play it as the closing song at Folly Deuce. Okay. And the guy would come out on the saxophone. Like yeah, the smoke cannons are going yeah, yeah, yeah. off. Like it's a great tune. Yeah. Everyone will know it. Oh, does it come from it. the tune, is it? Yeah. It is a banger. Everyone sort of knows the tune. They don't necessarily know the name of the song. Uh, so I had a Swedish housemate from uni. Yeah. He said, oh, Jubel, we say that for cheers in, in Scandinavia. Is that right? Yeah. In Germany, it means a feeling of extreme joy. Perfect name for a beer. That's exactly how you feel after a few pints at altitude. Welcome to the Eventful Entrepreneur. I'm your host, Dodge. And I'm the CEO and founder of the Bournemouth Sevens Festival and the revolutionary event crowd, our new online events course. On this podcast, I speak to fascinating people who have all lived eventful lives. So if you want to hear more like this, make sure you subscribe, leave us a glowing review, and you can follow me on Instagram at Dodge Woodall. I reply to every single message. Hi everyone, I'm currently on holiday at the moment enjoying a bit of sun and sangria. But for those of you in the UK, I hope you're taking advantage of the heatwave and staying safe back there. In this episode, I talk to Jesse Wilson from Jubel Fruit Lagers. Getting noticed in the market as crowded as beer is never easy. It takes a special product, creative thinking and a strong vision. Jesse Wilson and his team have achieved just that with Jubel, a fruit lager dreamt up on the slopes of the French Alps. Jesse went from sleeping on a warehouse floor to obtaining investment and lining up Sainsbury's and Waitrose as a route to market, only to be faced with a global pandemic that shut down the entire hospitality industry. It's a wild journey for a brand that only launched in 2018. This is the eventful life of Mr. Jesse Wilson. Welcome to the show, Jesse. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, mate. Looking forward to this one. Let's, um, let's roll all the way back. Where did you grow up and when did you first come up with the idea about creating the brand Jubel? So I grew up in Ealing. So I grew up West London area uh, till seven, then moved to the States, actually. So I lived in Chicago for five years and then came back to Ashford, which is near Staines. So a bit of West London over the pond, back to West London, and then came up with the idea for Jubel at university down in Exeter a few years later. Nice. So you were you a, a sportsman? I was, yeah, big on football. Um, f- sort of traded the boots out in the States for a bit of baseball, a bit of basketball. But yeah, when I came back, got straight back into the footy and yeah, played quite a bit actually. Probably gave up too much of my time for football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so were you at St Luke's campus? Uh, I wasn't. No, no, no I was a main sighter. Yeah. Um, yeah, I did economics down there. So yeah, it was uh, all the football lads are normally down on Lukey's, yeah. sports scientists, but um, no, I did economics. And what was what was uni life like for you? I loved it. Yeah. Absolutely loved it. Yeah, I think uh, Exeter was a good balance of work hard, play hard, because um, people there were sort of serious enough about their academics, but they wanted to have a good time. Um, the sports scene was great. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I just relied on the fact I didn't have any... Uh, coursework throughout term because I, I didn't do much work and then just relied on a, a revision <laughs> blitz at the end of term to get through but uh, no it suited me well do you think how much how much what year was this so I was there 2011 to 2014 okay um, so started started a decade ago last yeah. September which was quite scary yeah 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 <laughs> what was it what was the uh, charges for uni back then how much did you have to pay to be at uni for your tuition fees and stuff do you remember yeah I was the last year of three grand a year so I snuck in before it tripled. Um, I was toying with the idea of a gap year, but as soon as I knew the fees were going to go up threefold, that was going to be a 30 grand decision. So, uh, yeah, I just went and cracked on at, at three grand a year. Good for you, mate. Good timing. Oh, Business is all very good timing as well. Yeah, Isn't it lucky. mad, though? You pay three grand to go to uni back then a year, and all of a sudden it tripled to nine grand a year. So students these days are going to uni knowing they're spending 27 grand on a degree. Yeah, at the minimum as well. That's just your, your tuition, all your living costs on top and stuff. It's astronomical. They reckon the average student leaves university at the moment £50,000 worth of debt around their neck really? before they even start their career. Gosh, it's a lot. Madness, <laughs> isn't it? Madness. Yeah. So when you were at uni, when did you come up with the idea? Did you come up with the idea that there was a gap in the market for Jubel? What did you, tell, me, tell me your route and the story you went down. Yeah, so I had a, a brief... Um, beer idea actually in my first year. Beer idea, love yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was sat in my student halls and I got an email from the career zone and it said, uh, do you have the next big idea in beer? 
And that was the title of the email. <laughs> uh, it was a company called AB InBev who own Budweiser, yeah. Corona, Stella, mm. a lot of big brands, biggest brewer in the world. They wanted students to pitch an idea to them for the chance to win. I think it was getting on for 10 grand. Um, and I just phoned up my mate because it was teams of two to four. I was going to do it on my own, but I had to find someone else. And I, I had a mate um, from home who was at Exeter. And I said, Harry, do you want to do this? Um, looks like quite good fun. So, yeah, we actually ended up winning that competition as a couple of freshers, which was great. So Quality, so you got yeah. 10 grand. Yeah, Did we split you? it between us. Yeah, so came out with a bit less debt at the end of uni. But, um, yeah, we went through that ten, the... That 10 Gs could have paid for your university degree. Mind um, you split it five five grand each. Yeah, 50-50, yeah. It paid a, a decent chunk Lovely. of it. Lovely. Good for you, mate. Yeah, we, we had to write this report. We were up till one, two in the morning in first year of uni when everyone's just going out. We were sat in the room, yeah, <laughs> writing this report. And um, we went to the finals in the UK, pitched to them. They liked it. They sent us over to their European headquarters. Um, oh, wow. And there were 12 judges, like their top-level Whereabouts VPs. in Europe were you? It was Leuven in Belgium, which okay. is their European HQ. Um, and there were cameras everywhere and we were bricking it. There's a couple of little freshers. We were like, what are we doing here? Um, but yeah, they, they loved the idea. It was um, it was like an athlete-friendly beer. So we were pitching them, minimise the negative aspects of alcohol and maximise the, the positive aspects like some proteins and B vitamins. And um, we just said there's enough people who are serious about their sport, but serious about um, being social at the same time. And they loved the idea. So they um, they basically bought it off us with the prize money. But yeah, that was the first little stab uh, at And what beer. was the brand called then? Um, you had to reflect the character of your uni. It was a terrible name we came up with. It cool. was called Isca. Okay. And it's because that was Exeter in Latin. So we were both down at Exeter and we thought, what do we call it? Why yeah. don't we go for Isca? Like sort of rolls off the tongue. You, yeah, can, say yeah, yeah. you can imagine yourself saying, can I have an Isca? Um, I think it's a terrible name now, but <laughs> <laughs> they liked it. I think it was more the concept. I mean, we're terrible at branding, naming marketing strategy but you um, were then yeah hopefully slightly less bad now but um <laughs> yeah that was the first stab at beer actually and we, we both ended up working for them uh full-time that summer in an internship and um what based out of london i was in luton okay glamorous luton lovely luton yeah and harry got sent off to a brewery in mega in wales so he was doing supply i was doing demand um harry's actually now my head of sales at jubel so we oh, uh, we went full circle and he's uh He's now back in beer with me. Oh, but, nice. Yeah, that was the first stab at beer. But um, idea for Jubel didn't come till final year of uni, actually. So tell me tell me where the idea of Jubel come from and the business model and the concept behind it. Yeah, the idea was from a, a ski trip, actually. Uh, I'd been a couple of times growing up, but didn't grow up with much. So it wasn't a normal thing we'd do going skiing. It was, yeah. Um, yeah, it was something we did once, but then... I'm on a four and the girls sort of won over um, with beach holidays instead of ski holidays. <laughs> so yeah, we went once, me and my brother loved it. And then at uni, it was really cheap to go because they got these really cheap deals yeah, for, that's right. you got 2000 students going out and- uh, 24 hours on a coach. Yes, yeah, a long way. <laughs> a it's long a long way. way. Yeah. It's all right, excitement going, there's all right, it's coming home. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a party bus on the way. Yeah. You do port to port on the on the ferry. Um, it's a bottle of port while yeah. you go from Dover to Calais. Yeah, um, yeah which is, dodgy at best yeah. um but it was a great week over in the french alps and you know you're there with 2000 students it's hard not to have a good time mm. and i was actually at a, a bar called folly deuce yeah, which is this love folly deuce mental yeah. sort of apres ski bar halfway up a mountain yeah. and it was a bluebird day start the week i went to the bar and this guy next to me ordered a beer pesh yeah i had no idea what it was but i saw them make um well they poured a pint and then they added a dash of something to it and yeah. i thought oh pesh that's peach yeah my french wasn't good but i knew that much and uh <laughs> thought maybe that's a bit like a lager and lime yeah but beer and peach it sounds quite refreshing so i just ordered in around and we were a mixed group of guys and girls from uni so I'd, i took all the pints back to the group and i think there were two things that struck me one was just the product was delicious yeah like i quite liked a cider but found them far too sweet yeah and then lager i just found quite boring and um, bloaty yeah, mm, yeah, and just you have to chew through one after yeah. a while. Like it's just yeah, not very enjoyable yeah. to drink. And um, yeah, I actually really enjoyed cider, but I could only have one or two cider blacks, and then you know your your tongue's purple, yeah. and <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. you got sugar stuck to your teeth. Yeah. So yeah, I just thought the product was delicious. It it was perfectly in the middle of those two things, mm. and it was refreshing like a cider, but I could drink it all day. And the other thing was 
all the girls loved it. Mm. And we were a mixed group. And normally I'd come back from the bar with a whole load of different drinks because you couldn't really get one thing that everyone enjoyed together. Yeah. And I just thought that's, that is quite unique. I've never seen a product that everyone can enjoy together. Mm. Um, from any night out, from any pub visit, we've never had one thing that we've all drunk together. And for the whole week, everyone was drinking beer pesh. So I came back and thought, there's got to be a market for that because people just vote with their mouths yeah. and, and everyone loved it. Yeah. And what year are we talking here? This was 2014. 2014. So this was and how old were you at the time? I would have been 21. And so when you come back from a ski holiday there, what was your first, your first thought process when you landed back? Uh, I need to start revising. Yeah. Oh, of course, you got uni to <laughs> Yeah, I had finals in yeah, the May. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, yeah, just strapped in for about six weeks of exams, which is not thinking about anything yeah. but um, macroeconomics, which was very boring. Painful. Very painful. <laughs> um, but I'd actually already signed up to go work for Mars Chocolate after uni. So... I wasn't thinking about starting a business then okay. because I was starting a grad scheme in the September. So yeah. yeah, when I came back, the idea did lodge in my mind because we brought back some of this peach mixer. Yeah, And when we we're going to pre-drinks and dinner parties, anyone who hadn't been on the ski trip was saying, what is that? And then yeah. they'd try it and go, that's amazing. Brilliant. I, I, you know, where could I find a brand like that? Yeah. Like, that's delicious. I, I don't know anything else like yeah. that. Um, so it, just, it did stick in the back of my mind. I thought there's there's got to be legs in that. Mm. So did you move straight into Mars, did you? I did, yeah. So I started at Mars. In, how, many, how many years were you there for? Uh, two. Okay. Yeah, it took me about two or three weeks to figure out I didn't really want to be there for yeah. long. Um, you know, going into a big corporate, things were very slow. Uh, there's loads of great things about a big corporate like that. Their, their training's brilliant. They've got people with loads of experience. They've been doing the business for years and years and years. So That's a... Uh, there's three positives of being in a corporate. Yeah, yeah. Might not have <laughs> any more. <laughs> I might be struggling now. Um, Did you just yeah. feel like you were a number in a corporate? Like I see, all the, I see everyone at student university today. They go, oh, I want to go and work for a corporate. I don't think they realise how painful it can be. You know, you've been just another number. You've been having told what to wear to come into work, the times you've got to leave, the amount of rules and regulations and, and, and everything laid down. You feel locked in. Mm. Did, did you get that feeling? Yeah, I felt like a tiny cog in a massive machine. Mm. You know, Mars was 75,000 employees. And I thought, I mean, I'd like to think I'd have a decent impact in a role, but mm. I just thought there's no impact I'm going to have here that's yeah. actually going to be that standout. The business at best is going to do 1% growth this year and at worst is going to decline 1%. Yeah. It's going to be absolutely fine either way. Yeah. Um, and I think some people quite liked it. There's a safety net of a corporate. You know, mm. it's, it's a secure role. Um maximum decline of 1% a year is, mm. is quite good for some people because they think oh, this isn't going to go pear-shaped. How, mu how much did they put you on starting salary? Mine was 32 and a half, I believe. Based in London? Yeah, well, Slough, which was, yeah, Luton, Slough. I'm, I'm ticking off all the hot spots, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> so you were there for two years. Was it in the back of your mind that you need to break away and be an entrepreneur? Big time. Yeah, I remember saying to a, a mentor who was... He was CFO at Wrigley, which was another segment of Mars. What, the um, chewing gum brand? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so the first catch-up I had with him, I said, I'll be honest, Colin, I, I really don't like it here. Um, Colin was a great guy, was actually. He? Yeah, he was, he was a brilliant guy. Um, and he just put aside the whole Mars agenda and just wanted to talk about me and what was important to me and how could he help oh, along brilliant. the way. So Go on, Colin. Colin was great. Great, yeah. Yeah, and he just tried to encourage me to think, well, what? If you know what How you old don't... was Colin out of interest, roughly? Oh, he must have been late 30s. Okay, he had so a couple of young kids. So. Okay, so he's been there, got the T-shirt in that corporate world and he was helping you out to say, is this for you or not for you? Yeah, he was just saying, okay. you know, I'm hearing what you're not enjoying. Yeah. Um, why don't you have a think about what you think you might need in a role? Yeah. And how could we maybe explore whether that's an opportunity we could give you here at Mars? Yeah. And if not, how can I support you in trying to find that externally? So, Happy days. What a bloke. Yeah, great bloke. Mm. So over the course of those two years where I was toying with the idea of what do I do, um, I was thinking about what do I need in a role? And I just thought I'm never going to find this in a corporate because yeah. I'd worked for AB InBev at uni. Yeah. Um, I then worked for PwC the next summer doing mergers and acquisitions. Hated that as well. Was that price water? Who's it? Yeah, PricewaterhouseCoopers. Yeah. Um, and what are they, accountancy firm? Yeah, that's their, their bread and butter. But I did uh, sort of M&A advisory, so helping them pitch firms to buy, basically, on behalf of their clients. And okay. um, 
quite helpful when raising money in a startup. But yeah. so you learned you learned lessons along the way. Yeah, yeah, did learn some lessons, but I knew I didn't want to work for a big company because yeah. I always thought it was the work that I was doing that I didn't enjoy. But yeah. then I'd worked at three or four different companies by the time I was twenty three. Yeah, I thought I haven't enjoyed any of these. Yeah, so okay. I think actually I'm I'm a square peg in a round hole here yeah. in the corporate. Yeah, I need to do my own thing. Yeah. So good for you, mate. Yeah, I started developing the idea for Jubel pretty early at okay. Mars actually, and started learning how to brew just in my evenings and weekends. So so you're brewing at home, are you? Not in my kitchen. I was brewing in a, a small brewery who were happy to give up the kit for me to come in at, you know, evenings and weekends and, and play around with it. So, um, yeah, I was actually driving up to a, a brewery in Sunderland at the weekends, which is miles away. Um, and the, the, Is this still in your corporate job? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So wow. the guy there was... London was, to Sunderland on the weekends. Yeah. He was ex-head brewer at SAB Miller. Yeah, um, okay. And they're massive. Yeah, they were huge. Yeah. And then basically when that got split up and the brand sold off, he um, he just thought, I don't want to work for a big company. Started his own little brew consultancy. And um, yeah, it was a guy called Keith and he just started teaching me how to brew. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, that's what I was doing in my spare time. So you were working, where were you, where were you in the final final job? Mars? Um, before you broke away? Yes. Yeah, did two of the rotations on the grad scheme yeah. before I quit. Yeah. And what's the grad scheme actually mean? For someone out there who's a student going, right, I'm going on a grad scheme. I'm going to get paid a bit more money than I would be normally if I went and found a normal job. Are they locking you in for a certain amount of years to say, right, we're going to teach you everything you need to know about this business? Uh, not locking you in. The, the program that I went on was a three-year program, um, three rotations around three very different parts of the business. Yeah. So the idea of it was, it was called the MMDP. So it was the Mars Management Development Program. So they were trying to develop the next generation of okay. Mars leaders and to give breadth basically they thought that was pretty pretty important so they would chuck you into lots of different roles so i did a role in internal recruitment i then did a role in marketing and i would have done a role in sales if i'd stayed the third year right um but grads worked in all sorts of places some worked in the factory doing the team leader role um so yeah it was just designed for breadth basically mm. and designed to be an accelerated development journey but uh yeah was there any grad, was there any grad scheme on tasting there wasn't, but I did do their chocolate like sensory induction program, and <laughs> oh, tell I, me I, exactly what that is. Well, they basically <laughs> sat you in a room and taught you. It was called Passion for Chocolate, and they taught you about the history of chocolate, how it's made, and then did blind tastings across a load of different types of chocolate. And I do remember tasting all the chocolates and picking out the most random tasting notes. I'd be like, "Oh, this one tastes a bit of like rose. It's quite floral." And they yeah. go, "Their secret ingredient is rose water." Uh, and then I tried another one. I was like, I was quite nutty. Like, yeah. there's a high concentration of like cocoa butter in here or something. Yeah. And they go, yeah, that's that's lint oh, wow. speciality. Okay. And I don't know if I've just got good taste buds or yeah. um, maybe they just yeah thought I was chatting a load of rubbish. But <laughs> good signs, good signs. So, yeah. so so you were you in your final year of your grad scheme. What made you go right? I'm I I need to break away here. So I was coming up to choosing my third placement. Yeah, and. I'd been developing the idea for Jubel for two years, so. And you say you say developing the idea. What do you mean by developing the idea? Basically, just brewing. I wanted okay. to get to the point where I had a liquid that I was happy with and something that I thought would work. So, okay. at that point, did a couple of events over the summer, like quite small scale, um, kind of farmers markets, beer markets. Did a couple of smaller festivals. I wouldn't even classify them as you know a music festival yeah. like Bournemouth Sevens or anything, yeah. but. Um, where you're getting a few hundred people, maybe a thousand in one place. Testing. Great testing, opportunity testing. to test. Yeah, good for you. And I'd read that book by the, the guys who started Innocent Smoothies. Yeah. Um, a couple of similarities, like they came up with the idea, hung over on a ski trip, yeah. and then tested the idea by doing their own festival in Parsons Green. I thought, what a brilliant way to decide yeah. is there legs in this? Yeah. So I'd done a couple of those events, and the, the consumer response to the product was brilliant. People were saying sort of things like, this is so much nicer than normal beer, but it's yeah. nowhere near as sweet as cider. I could drink this all day. Yeah. And they weren't just saying that, they were coming back and drinking it all day. Yeah. So I thought, I don't know how to start a business, but I do know this product probably has legs. Um, so I just, after we did quite a bigger event and the product sold really well, sold 5,000 bottles in one weekend, which I thought was a huge amount of beer yeah, at the you. time. Absolutely. I, I quit my job the following week, um, just handed in my notice and said, I'm, I'm leaving to do my own thing. And how much money did you have in the bank when you said, I'm quitting my job? Um, at that point, pretty much nothing because I'd just put about four and a half grand into brewing a trial brew for that for that event. 
Yeah. Um, so I got a bit of money obviously back from selling the beer, but I was just putting that constantly back Straight into back the in. company. Yeah. So I was trying to put a little bit away just as I was working there, trying to just chip away, put some savings in the bank, um, thinking I'm gonna need something to start something yeah. at some point. Um, but I was just putting that into trial brews and then, yeah, just went from there. What a lovely feeling knowing that you've got a product that you've been testing and you're going, oh my God, I'm onto something here. I don't know what it is, but I know that people like the product. Mm. And to have that confidence of going, you know, I'm handing my notice in, I'm ready to break away now and do my own thing. There must've been a point, I'm, I'm sure there's been many points you're thinking, shit, what am I doing here? <laughs> what was the point where you're like, well, how am I gonna pay my rent? Yeah, well, that didn't come for a little while because I moved back home for a bit. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Just said to mum and dad, do you perfect. mind if I come back for six, seven based? months? Uh, Ashford near Staines. Yeah, okay. So um, did seven months back home, yeah. uh, moved back in September when I left Mars. And that first week I was like, I, I really don't know what I'm doing now. Because yeah. um, then, then it was proper, like I need to start a business. Um, got Needed to get quite structured and think about how am I going to do this and earn a living from it. Yeah. Um, but didn't have to worry about the rent thing for a while. I was playing football, which helped sort of pay some bills. Yeah. Um, but yeah, moved back home and that was very kind of my parents just to say, look, we'll support you. Yeah, um, yeah I went and slept back on the floor because someone else had taken my room. Mm. <laughs> How old were you at the time when you went moved back home? Uh, 23. 23, great age. Yeah. So what, was your, what, were your, what were your next movements regarding the brand Jubel and, and developing this idea? So there are three things that I needed to sort out really. One was scalable production. You know, brewing on a very small scale kit and doing a couple of thousand bottles at a time was not the way to launch a business. Mm. Um, I also wouldn't have had the time to do it myself. Mm. So I needed to find a, a producer. Produ whenever I spoke to a producer, they would then say, well, what's your funding like? Yeah. And what's your marketing strategy to actually scale this thing? Yeah. I didn't really have answers to those questions. Yeah. So then I started speaking to some potential angel investors and they would go, you know, simple questions, how are you making the beer? How are you gonna sell it? Yep. Didn't, didn't really have answers to those questions. Yep. And then I'd speak to a wholesaler or some bars, pubs, restaurants, and they'd say, well, who's making it? And have you got any money to support this? You know, if I back it, is it gonna scale? Yep. How are you gonna grow the brand? So it was a bit of a, a vicious cycle. It was quite chicken or egg with those three yep. things. Um, but I was just kind of, slaving away on all three fronts for a little while. And the the penny to drop was an investor said, look, I back this, there's clearly legs in the idea. You've got loads of great proof points. This isn't just an idea. Yeah. People want to drink it. Yeah. I'm going to put in some investment. And, and then I just- How turned, much did he put in? He put in a hundred grand. Okay. And that was your first investor? Yeah. And who was he? Did you reach out to him? Was he a family member? Was he a friend? My friend from uni, her dad was very good friends with him. Okay. So. And what did he have a background in? Drinks. Okay. So when Brilliant. when I said, look, got this idea for a beer uh, based on this idea from the French Alps. Um, yeah, this, this friend said, you should chat to my dad's mate. He's worked in drinks his whole life. Yeah. He worked for a company called Allied de Mec, who yeah. owned a lot of spirits brands yeah. like Malibu yeah. at the time, Tia Maria. Um, ended up getting bought by Pernod Ricard, but he had headed up their uh, Europe and Asian business. So... He was quite a big dog in the corporate drinks world. Yeah. Then had done some smaller scale drink stuff and owns his own gin brand. So he had this nice balance of, I know the corporate world, I also know how to start a brand. Yeah. Um, so yeah, got put in touch with him and, and he was a legend for backing it early. And- What's his name? Uh, Neil. Neil. Yeah, Neil's a really good guy. Um, yeah, took a punt. I mean, he was investing on not much at the time, you know, just a few proof points, done a few events, people like the liquid. He was investing in you. And don't, don't ever forget that because it's the person behind the brand is, what, is that's investable. Mm. He was invested in you and your idea and your enthusiasm at the age of 23. He saw yeah. something there. Yeah, no, it was it was very good of him to do mm. so because um, yeah, I didn't have loads to show for myself. Mm. <laughs> About 10 minutes of corporate experience. Mm. But um, yeah, he, he backed it. So I turned around to the brewery and said, we've, we've got six figures of investment now. We can pay for, you know, 50,000 cans at once. Yeah. Do you want to brew it? They said yes. Brilliant. And then start turning around to reach the market. Who like said wholesalers. yes? What company said yes? Um, so we started brewing with um, a brewery down in Cornwall called St. Austell Brewery. Yeah. Big regional brewer. Yeah, um, they? yeah so they, they played a hugely instrumental role in helping us get going. And um, What did they actually do? So you said, right, I've got 100 grand now. What did they actually do for you? Brewed the beer. So I had a, effectively a recipe 
yeah. that I'd developed yeah. and a spec, exactly how to brew it. Yeah. I needed them to brew it at scale. Okay. Um, I needed them to churn out, you know, 50,000 bottles at a time, yeah. um, which I couldn't do from this tiny little brewery. Yeah. And I knew if this started to get going, then supply would be crucial. Yeah. And if we ran out of supply early, it would There's have no been business. game over. Yeah, yeah. No business, is there? So I saw that as a critical building block to get right early on. Yeah. So supply was key. And then on the sales side of things, lining up the right sort of wholesalers yeah. to then service the sort of bars that I wanted to sell to. Um, and as soon as they knew we had some investment, Sonostal were brewing it. They were like, look, we'll give it a punt. We'll, we'll list it. So before you get there, before you got to Sonostal, who branded Jubel? Where did the name come from? So the name um, actually came from the idea itself. So there's um, there a house song called Jubel by a guy called Klingander and uh, they would always play it as the closing song at Folly Deuce. Okay. And the guy would come out on the saxophone. Like yeah, the smoke cannons are going yeah, yeah, off. Yeah. Like it's a great tune. Yeah. Everyone will know it. Oh, has it come from it. the tune, is it? Yeah. It is a banger. Everyone sort of knows the tune. They don't necessarily know the name of the song. But then I looked up what it meant. And uh, so I had a Swedish housemate from uni. Yeah. He said, oh, Jubel, we say that for cheers in, in Scandinavia. Is that right? Yeah. And, uh, and then I looked up online and um, in Germany, it means a feeling of extreme joy. Um, so I thought, well, perfect name for a beer. That's exactly how you feel after a few pints at altitude. So, so in Germany, it's called for extreme joy. That's what Jubal wow. actually means. It's like jubilation. Wow. It's like celebration, Mate, joy. What a great name. Yeah. So I thought that's, that is exactly the essence of the brand that I want to create. Yeah. And no one had called their beer Jubal. So I actually registered the company straight after having the idea. Should have said that earlier. But yeah. I came back to the UK. I did register the company at that Good point because I thought we need to get Jubal Limited as a company yeah. and we need Jubal copyrighted as did a Did you mark. buy the .com? Uh, that didn't actually exist, jubel.com, but jubelbeer.com did. So Brilliant. I bought .com and .co.uk straight away, yeah. Wow. Have you bought all the others, the .co's and everything else? Uh, bought quite a few, yeah. yeah. We've got a long list of domains Protect that we got. yourself at yeah. every angle. Yeah. But no, did a few of those bits just early, early on, way before even thinking this might be a business, mm. just in case I ended up doing something with it down the line. So so we'll, we'll roll back here. You've got 100 grand investment from your dad's mate. You then go to St. Austell and say, now I've got 100 grand and we're ready to go. But to get to St. Austell to believe in you, they've obviously tasted the product. What about the branding? What about the website? What about your presentation to them? Yeah, probably wasn't very good looking back on it, but I think they, I think they really saw the point of difference. Um, there were loads of craft breweries setting up shop yeah. and they were all brewing the same styles. Yeah. And there was nothing that was actually that different about them. They would say, oh, this beer is so different, you know, try my IPA. And all they've done differently is a slightly different type of hop. It's like, well, it and tastes, a, tastes a exactly the same. And a, weird, and a weird, funky new name. Yeah, yeah and like a great. sort of label that you can't even make head or tail yeah, of. Yeah. Um, so we were genuinely doing something different. Like this is between lager and cider. There is no product yeah. on the market like it. Yeah. And here are all our proof points around the fact people actually want to drink it. Yeah. Um, so the branding wasn't really that well developed at that stage, but I had the story of this has come from the Alps. Yep. It's a tradition out there. Let's bring it back here. Fruit side is massive. Here's some category stats. Lager's huge. Yep. Like here's some category stats. Yep. Why is the space in between yep. not a goer? Yeah. Um, so they they took a bit of a punt on it as well. Um, Did they invest any money? No, I tried to get them to invest, yep. um, but they said no. Okay. Um, so hopefully I'll make them regret that decision. I bet, but sure um, they will. Yeah, I, I thought there's a lot of synergies here. You've got production, you've also got route to market, yeah. and you've got national sales presence with your own brands. Yeah. Um, but it was too early, it was too much of a risk. Yeah. They're happy to say, look, we'll take on a risk on brewing it, yeah. um, but we will not take on a what risk What percentage investing. did you give away for that 100 grand? Uh, quite a small percentage, yeah. So it was, um, I don't think we've ever said publicly, but it was not like the sort of dragon's den you know, I want half your business for yeah. this. Um, it was quite a small percent. I think Neil was very good in that he thought what's quite important is you have very decent skin in the game to be motivated to do this. I think if he was opportunistic and just thought I'll take half your business early yeah. on, um, he would have realised I, I would not have stayed motivated yeah. for the long term. Agreed. So, um, Less yeah, than 5%? 
A bit more than that, okay. but um, less, less than, than 10, fifty. So yeah, less than ten percent. Yeah, good for you. Yeah, so between between those two numbers, yeah. um, so it was it was meaningful enough for him. Yeah, but um, it was not like he was just coming in and basically saying, he's got skin in the game for hundred grand. Yeah, 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 and it was a risk that he took on on the idea. Um, well, hundred grand's hard, a lot of money to earn. It's like, you know. Hundred grand is hundred grand. Yeah, more money than I'd ever earned yeah. at twenty three. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah, it so really got us going. When he when he gave it a hundred G's, in your mind, how did you lay it out to say, "Well, this is how I'm going to spend it"? Did he ask you how you want to spend it? Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to take a salary of ninety nine and uh, yeah. <laughs> go to Ibiza for two months, <laughs> lose the hundred G's. <laughs> yeah, no, it was the opposite. I was sleeping in a warehouse, so um, he had to tell me to take a salary. I he said, "Where's your salary on the P and L yeah. that you've put together?" I said, "Well, I'm not taking one." Yeah. Um, he said, "Well." Actually, you do need to take one because yeah. if you, it's quite um, fatalistic, but he said, if you got hit by a bus, yeah. this business is not sustainable if you're not actually drawing a salary. Because books, how am yeah. I going to hire someone else yeah. to run your business? No one's going to do it for free. Yeah. So if you can't run a business whilst taking a salary from it, it's not viable, mm. which is quite a good bit of advice. Mm. I was fighting back and I was like, well, Look, all due respect, I'm not going to get hit by a bus. Yeah. Um, I'll be careful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I want to put the money into growing the brand. Yeah. Bit of back and forth, took a very, very small salary. And I said, well, how about we compromise on this? I'll take a tiny amount just so that you're happy that some money's mm. going out the business for, for people. Mm. Um, Would you take 12 grand? Uh, I took 18, 18 at grand. the time. Okay. Yeah, he, he wouldn't actually let me take any less than that. Okay. I'll pitch 12. Yeah. Um, he said, no, you need to take at least 30 because I wouldn't hire someone else for that. Yeah. Um, landed on 18. And I put together a business plan. So part of it was developing the branding. Yeah. So needed to. I wanted to work with a, a proper agency to do it properly. Yeah. Um, part of it was just the, the working capital of brewing a beer at this point, probably not selling it for a while. What is the cash flow required to actually start to scale this? Yeah. Um, and then part of it was just the launch strategy. Mm. You know, we're going to go into these bars, need to hire these interns to help me. Mm. As soon as we're in the bars, we need X amount to activate the brand and make sure it sells really well. Um, so it's just the holistic business plan mm. that he invested behind. But I'd, I'd actually thought through it. I think the PwC experience was great because I was putting together plans like this. That's right. And I thought through it down to the tiniest detail, like a sample cut cost 6p. We're going to sample this many people. Therefore, this is the line yeah. of the P&L for sample cups. Yeah. And I'd done it all bottom up. Mm. So I hadn't just gone top down and gone, oh, we'll just do a bit of this, bit of that. Yeah. You know, five grand here, 10 grand there. That's my plan. Yeah. I built everything from... You probably bootstrapped it. Yeah, the tiniest yeah. detail. Because I'd done all these events myself. I knew, okay, you're going to need, yeah, X many sample cups for that kind of yeah. event. This would be the cost of it. This yeah. is the listing fee for the event. Um, so I knew the plan was was quite thorough. Mm. Obviously, the plan took twists and turns, mm. but I knew 100 grand was how much we needed. It wasn't finger in the air, yeah. what might we need to start a business. I genuinely knew to get going and build momentum, that's what we needed. How long did you think that 100 Gs was going to last you for? A year. One year, okay. Yeah. Then what was your next move when that money runs out? Next move, um, I was gearing up to drive as much momentum and progression for the business within that year as possible. Yeah. And assuming that anyone who wants to invest in a business will be looking for something that's growing quickly yeah. and getting very strong consumer traction. Mm. So I was trying to do those two things, thinking there's money out there to raise yeah. if we can do those two things. And we did. Um, within four months of launch, we got a Sainsbury's listing. What year did you launch? 2018. 2018, you launched the actual brand. So you were you were developing, developing, research. Uh, testing and then 2018 boom we're ready to go to market yeah okay yeah how much investment did you get in before you launched so that was neil's investment the hundred, um, the hundred. yeah so that was the launch yeah. investment and then um the following year we raised another 350 yeah um having driven quite a lot of momentum behind the brand is that, on, is that on seis or eis uh it was it was a bit of both so yeah. we had maxed out seis by yeah. that point did a bit of EIS and then um, actually had some investment from a drinks company that didn't qualify for either. So okay, yeah, that was um, early 2019. So you raised another 350 and you gave away how many shares for that? Uh, that would have been at a better valuation than the first one. Yeah. So slightly less equity to give away, but yeah. not not drastically better. Brilliant. Um, so you're still, holding, you're still holding the lion's share. Yeah. Good, good for you. Yeah. So, um, and that was quite key, like, getting a, a bigger drinks brand involved as well, um, just opened up a lot more route to market. Who was the, the drinks brand? Uh, they're called CNC Group. Yeah. So they're 
big company, one and a half billion turnover listed on the stock exchange. Is that Magnus? Yep, they own Magnus, Tenants. Um, Tenants is seven out of 10 pints in Scotland. So basically a, mon- right? a monopoly up there. <laughs> Um, I love it. Tenants yeah. is seventy percent of the market up in Scotland. Honestly, wow. they call it vitamin wow. tea. Wow, it's, is that what it is? yeah, it is. Jeez. It is basically a monopoly. They yeah. dominate up there. Okay, but they own Matthew Clark and Babendum. Do they? Yeah, who okay. supply? I think it's thirty-eight percent of the UK, UK? on trade. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I was thinking, if we want to get into all these doors, yeah. I don't want to buy trucks. I don't want to hire delivery yeah. drivers, and I don't want a massive ops team planning delivery routes all yeah. week. I want a, a company who can help us with the logistics side of it. Um, and they need to service those orders. But those wholesalers don't often take you on until you're a massive brand. Mm. So getting that investment in helped us get listed with them. Who did you approach and why did you approach CNC? Obviously, they're a one and a half billion dollar company. I can understand why you would approach them. What was the, Who opened the door? Um, so it's another fairly fortuitous sort of intro. It was a friend of mine whose dad was a banker and he advised CNC on a few of their deals. And he said, oh, CNC have just bought Matthew Clark and Babendum. Yeah. And I thought that was really interesting because I wanted to open up these routes to market. Yeah. And I just asked him, I said, well, would you be happy to maybe make an intro? Like, I'd love to have a chat to them. Yeah. We're doing something genuinely very different. Yeah. They're big insider and they've probably seen that side has dropped off a bit. So they're probably thinking, what do we need to do next yeah. to stay relevant? Yeah. And um, met up with their CEO. He texted me, one morning I got a text number I didn't know and he said, Jesse, it's Stephen from CNC. Um, you got ten minutes this afternoon. I'll be at Hilton Paddington at two PM. Mm. And I was thinking Stephen, right? Stephen from CNC. Who's mm. who's Stephen? I've never chatted to a Stephen. Mm. Um just Googled Stephen CNC and he was the CEO. Yeah, so yeah, I thought, yeah, of course I'll give you ten minutes mm. of my time. I'll give you all the time mm. in the world. Mm. Um so popped over to meet him chatted for an hour and a half after about 15 minutes i said don't you have to go he said you got 10 minutes he said this is more important um i'll cancel those meetings so we chatted for an hour and a half and he said we need to invest in you Think did, did is... he say that straight away wow brilliant. yeah brilliant. well he said like any sort of high-powered you know um business person he said well what do you want from us yeah toward the end and i said well i think what would be of mutual benefit is if if you invested in this brand and helped us open up some routes to market there's a lot of stuff that we're doing right, yeah. which I think will end up helping you down the line. Yeah. Um, and he said, great, well, let's get you up to Scotland and, and let's chat it through. So I went up a, a couple of months later to chat to their CFO, uh, a couple of the other people who were involved in those decisions. And uh, yeah, we made it happen. Brilliant. Well, a good story. It just goes to show every person you meet is a contact. Big time, yeah. Yeah, everyone you meet, anyone listening out there, every person you meet is a contact. You'll know someone through someone to open a door. And that's how business works. And that's why I'm asking these questions so people listening can go, open up my book. Okay, I know him, know him. Can you open a mm. door for me? Yeah. It's really simple. Yeah. Yeah, and I think thinking about mutual benefits is really key. Yeah. Because um, I, I get quite a lot of like inbox messages now, as I'm sure you get mm. many more than me. Um, and people just want something from you. Yeah. Um, but I think every time I approached someone, I was I was quite keen to think about, well, what's the mutual benefit here? I genuinely think mm. there's something in this for you if we can have a chat. Mm. Not just what's in it for me, um, coming at it from a selfish standpoint. So You've got to create a win-win in every situation in business. Big time, yeah. Otherwise, there's, there's no such thing as business. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, I think you've done really well. I think you've done really well taking this point. And I'm really intrigued by the next step now then. So you're talking about getting distribution. Just to explain to people what you mean by getting distribution. Yeah. So I always say to our, um, well, I don't anymore, but our head of sales says to our new starters in sales, you guys have to sell Jubel three times. They're like, what do you mean? Um, And we talk about the fact that you've got the consumer who's drinking in the pub. You've got to sell it to them. You've got the pub who's selling the beer to the consumer. You've got to sell it to them as well. And how does the pub get the beer? Well, a wholesaler delivers it to them. So you've got to sell it to the wholesaler. So we say you've got to sell the beer three times. So when I talk about distribution, I'm talking about that wholesale piece. And we wanted to get into loads of different pubs, but the pub would turn around and say, well, do you you have your product available through Matthew Clark? And we'd say, no, not yet. And Matthew Clark is one of the biggest distributors around the UK. Yeah, Yeah. so about 40% of the UK on trade. So they've got huge coverage. And the the pub would say, well, I want to list your beer, but until I can buy it through Matthew Clark, because I get everything else through Matthew Clark. I can make one phone call a week, I give them a list of the products I want, and then they make a delivery. Brilliant. I don't want to phone up 10 different brands with 10 different delivery days. Yeah. I just want 
to keep my life easy. Yeah. That's why I work with a wholesaler. So I had to get my head around this sort of route to market. How do the unit economics work for that? Um, how do we structure our, our commercials to mm. actually factor in? There's another slice of margin there. Um, but thought that actually that's how we need to scale because I don't want to, as I said earlier, I don't want to buy delivery vans and yeah. I don't want- Headache. Massive headache. Yeah. It's not scalable, can't grow at pace. Mm. So really the, the big unlocker there was opening up Matthew Clark, opened up loads of pubs. Yeah. Because the pubs already wanted us, but Matthew Clark just wouldn't even reply to our emails. Really? Yeah, yeah. Because they're like, well, you're too small. We've got 7,000 yeah. SKUs listed. So, so you've gone straight to the top, the people who own Matthew Clark, got in with them, got investment from them, doors opened. Yeah, another chicken or egg problem. Yeah. How do you get into the pub without the wholesaler? Yeah. How do you get into the wholesaler without a pub? Yeah. Really hard to get through that challenge. Yeah. Um, I got through it with a different wholesaler called Nectar because I was delivering at the back of my, my car. Yeah to about 10 pubs. Yeah. The volume had built in those pubs to the point where they said, we'll take it on now. Yeah. Um, but Matthew Clark just wouldn't even respond to the emails. So yeah, that just helped us get over that hurdle quite quickly. Brilliant. And is it, is it what, what is it, bottles? Is it on tap? So we have two main formats now. We do on tap in, in pubs. That's about 95% of our on-trade volume yeah. is pints. And then we do uh, tinnies now. Started as bottles way back when, but yeah. swapped to cans. What size are the tinnies? Uh, 330 mil. Okay. Yeah, so classic sort of Coke size can if you picture it. Yeah. And um, that's what we do in, in off-trade in retail. And just let's talk about the brand. Let's talk about the actual beer because I found the beer at Bournemouth Sevens. You come on board, we were partners. Um, and I went up into your ski area, which we created a wonderful arena. Yeah. I went up there and um, I went and tasted the peach, the elderflower and the grapefruit. And I was literally blown away at the taste. I was like, Jesus Christ, what is this? This is amazing. <laughs> and cause I didn't, I didn't know until the day. Yeah. And I was literally blown away. I was like, oh my God, this could, you could, I could have a session on this quite easily and, and have six, seven, eight yeah. pints without having to, having to think about going and trying something different. Yeah, nice. And that, well, here's a brown what, envelope for saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. That's ten G's. Um, but Perfect no, I'm gen <laughs> but, but 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 genuinely, I was literally blown away. I was like, wow, this is special. I was even texting all the boys, and you know, we've got a team of um, a massive team at the festival. Go, guys, mm. you've got to come and taste this. Mm. That speaks volumes, mm. you know. And what you've created, you've got to be super proud of where you got it today. Tell me about the bit from 2018 to 2020, because 2020, as we know the world come to a halt. Yeah. What was your journey between the 2018 and 2020 period? Well, 2018 slash 19, because our financial year is April to March. Yeah. So it always spans the two years, two calendar years a bit. Um, that first financial year was just getting out the blocks, yep. getting into some pubs, hand delivering some before a wholesaler would take it on, got a first retailer in Sainsbury's, raising that money from CNC. So it was a lot of, a lot of work to get any sort of momentum going. So you got into Sainsbury's in your first year? Yeah. Yeah, so wow. um, did this ridiculous video for a Virgin Voom competition to pitch to Richard Branson. Mm. Um, didn't win, got to finals, but didn't win. Um, but Sainsbury saw the video on LinkedIn and got in touch and just said, we're looking at, they had this future brands program yeah. and said, we're looking at stuff that is a bit more category defining rather than just, it's the same version of something different. What is the next big thing was essentially the brief. Yeah. Um, and actually the guy who was heading up the team used to buy chocolate and he obviously bought quite a lot from Mars. And he was saying to him, look, I'm going on to this new role in Sainsbury's. And uh, by the way, do you know any, do you know any brands who are like new, different? And this guy just said, oh, actually a guy left Mars to do something in beer slash cider. I don't really know about it, but it was, it was quite different. Mm. Might be worth getting in touch and having a chat. So the two kind of came together. He, yeah came into this role, saw this video, got in touch and said, should we grab a coffee? And and they loved it. Mm. He said, we need to get you in front of the buying team. I think they'll love this. Uh, met the buying team. They loved the liquid, loved the brand positioning, loved the category ambition to be really disruptive. And um, retailers always work on quite a lead time. So yeah. met them in the June and they said, our range change is November and we're going to put you in quite a few stores. Mm. And I was like, well, how many stores? And they were like, well, we don't know that until a couple months before. Mm. I didn't really know. Yeah. why it had to happen like that. But yeah, we ended up going into 600 stores in the November. So yeah, it's a decent, decent little listing. Fantastic. Yeah. And how much do you, how much does, uh, that's just cans, I take it? That was just package, yeah. Well, in your mind, how much does one can equal? In your mind, are you thinking like, so could a can that goes out? 
That's what I'm thinking, yeah. yeah okay. There keep, or thereabouts, Keep yeah. numbers simple, so it's a quid a can, okay. Yeah. When you're dealing with sort of a Sainsbury's, a Tesco's and the big brands like that, obviously they must squeeze you because they know the exposure you're going to get. Mm. Is it a loss leader? It's not, no. No. No, it's, um, it's got to be commercially viable. Yeah. Um, and we're pretty honest with them about that. Um, I said that guy, Harry from uni, he's our head of sales. So me and, me and him went and sat down with him and said, we want to work with you, but just open book. Yeah. We can't go below this amount yeah. to actually, and it's again, it's mutual because mm. if we go lower than this and make no money from working with you. No longevity, is that? Well, we can't invest in the mm. brand. So we're going to be creating zero consumer pools to actually come into your store yeah. to buy the beer. Yeah. So the reason we can't go below this is because we know that's how much we need to invest in growing the business mm. in the on trade getting into more pubs doing lots of stuff like events to drive trial yeah. and liquid to lips a bit like you found at bournemouth sevens yeah. it's the first time you tried it yeah well that that's that's kind of a great marketing strategy well, you think about it i've told I've, I've probably told 100 people already yeah actually in a conversation like this when i'm out yeah. I'm going, oh my god have you tried oh, that juba have you tried that juba and it, you know and that's that's just with the peach flavor the yeah. elderflower flavor was beautiful as well as yeah. is the grapefruit well a mate of mine texted me on the tuesday after bournemouth sevens and said i'm sat on a train back from dorset and three people behind me are talking about your beer yeah and i was like well, do they look like they've just been to a festival they look <laughs> and he over. said yeah he said that, yeah they're talking about some sort of festival and it was obviously yeah. bournemouth sevens yeah. and three randomers on the train talking about yeah. jubel i mean for it to be the topic of a conversation yeah. you have to really like something that's right not just like hear some nice words yeah. oh yeah good product yeah, well yeah. done and then you forget about it yeah. like they were just on their journey home going yeah. almost highlights of the festival yeah. obviously talking about a number of other things as well but jubel you know did you try the beer that yeah. was so nice i never tried you it cannot before. beat the power of word of mouth yeah yeah you can't you literally can't yeah so we were saying sainsbury stuff like that we, yeah. we need to invest in getting people to try the beer because then it's this you know sort of mutual cycle of growth where yeah. We can invest in the brand. More people come to store. They pick yeah. it up. That's better for you guys. Yeah. Um, and I think they appreciated the honesty, really. Yeah. I think a lot of people bend over backwards and mm. say, we'll work with you at any cost. And then they shoot themselves in the foot. They go under because they're losing loads of yeah. money. They can't invest in the brand. And then Sainsbury's turn around and say, well, no one's buying it. So we're getting rid of it. Yeah. So, yeah, we didn't want to do that. Um, wanted to make sure it was viable. What do you make different to your brand when you go to a Sainsbury's? What, what makes it stand out on the shelves? Uh, well, the, I guess the, the pure basics would be product and packaging. Um, so even if someone knows nothing else about your brand, does the packaging pop? Yeah. So if you're just scanning the shelf, can you find it quite easily? And that's something I learned from Mars because I did a big um, rebrand project on one of their brands. And they talked about pace and pop. So can you find it quickly on the shelf and does it pop off the mm. shelf? Um, and that was quite helpful when setting a branding brief. So I took lots of pictures of the craft category in retailers uh, what do they look like and where is my eye drawn to and yeah. what's maybe consistent about the brands where my eye is drawn. Mm. Um, so bold and simple was part of our brief and, and the can is striking. Yeah. Um, the color cut through with the white backdrop, yeah. it, it does pop off the it shelf. Does. It does. And so if you see it and you pick it up and you try it, I think the, the product is the second main thing. Is the product really, really good? Yeah. And we actually have the highest repeat rate in Sainsbury's craft category. So it's 54 different products there and people repeat purchase our beer more than any other. Brilliant. So that just shows the product is really, really good. So ahead of anything else, I think you've got to have packaging and yeah. product absolutely locked in. Um, and then the overlay on that is is brand brand equity, really. So yeah. what are you doing to actually build the brand equity? Um, what is the perception of your brand? Mm. Um, you look at something like Red Bull, fantastic example yeah. of how they built out that brand mm. equity. Um, so that that then frames really our marketing strategy is mm. we, we need to give people a reason to want to be part of the brand, not mm. just enjoy the product. And then what, so you've got the 100 grand investment, you then you've got 350 grand investment, I'm sure that money's gonna dry up. What was your next step? So it was continuing on this sort of annual cycle of rates of money, build really big momentum. Toward the end of that second financial year was now the pandemic. Now we're talking 20, coming into 2020, the end of 2019, yeah. 2020, okay. Yeah, so second financial year was, um, was April 2019 yeah. to March 2020. So okay. just coming to the end of that year, um, business had quadrupled in size, so we were flying. Momentum was really, really strong. Working with a national retailer, gearing up to raise some more money, and I was thinking we're in a great position yeah. here because the momentum's brilliant. Yeah. Um, and then had had lined up 750k yeah. of investment, and all the investors dropped out. Yeah. 
Uh, Mid-March, orders just dried up, the tap turned off, yeah. no revenue coming in the door. Everyone just said, look, I'm sitting on my money. I'm going to ride out whatever's going on in the world. Yeah. I just need to see what happens. Yeah. Let the dust settle. Um, so yeah, that was quite a, a stressful time actually because cash was running out. I'd left the investment round probably a little bit late. Yeah. Um, had about a month of cash left. Um, pandemic had started. I had COVID, so I was in bed. Um, couldn't really do much because I was really quite ill with it. And yeah, it was actually a really stressful time. I bet it was. Your mind yeah. must have been spinning, laying in bed ill while your business is about to come to a halt. Yeah, well, I was like hallucinating all night whilst I was trying to sleep because of COVID. Yeah. And then I'd wake up and think, right, I need to try and figure out how to keep this business alive. Got nine employees who are reliant on me for their jobs. Yeah. Um, can't really see how we're going to sell any beer because yeah. all the pubs have closed. You know, I was watching Boris on the telly saying, be careful, don't go to a pub. Yeah. We're like, great. <laughs> Cheers, Bojo. Thanks, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mate. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, trying to keep morale in the team um, whilst I was stressed internally. Um, that was that was quite tough. And I just didn't even really have the, the headspace to do it because I was so ill. Mm. Um, that was, yeah, probably one of the biggest low points, actually. Mm. And then and what was your move then? Obviously, it's come to yeah. a halt. What was, what was going through your mind? You've got nine mouths to feed. Yeah. So had to take a bit of a sacrifice, did a bit of a down round of investment. So something I really didn't want to do. A down round? What's that? Raise at a lower valuation than what we did a year before. Right, and okay. I, was, I was really gutted slash a bit pissed off because yeah. um, obviously everyone was working their socks off to yeah. grow the brand. And we just got done by timing, which yeah. happens. Um, the timing was terrible. Investors were saying, look, the risk is massive. So I went to the existing investors and said, basically, we're going to run out of cash. We need to prop up the business. We need to prop up the balance sheet. Um, and they said, well, the risk factor is very high. So we can't raise at this sort of valuation that you want. It's going to have to be lower than what it was a year ago. And I was saying, well, how does that work? Because yeah. the business is four times the size. Yeah. Um, push came to shove. We just had to do it, which was pretty gutting. And yeah. Yeah, unfortunate timing, but that does happen. Um, but live to tell the tale. So that sorted that one out. How much did they put in? So we put in 500. 500. To Same company, CNC. A bit of a mix. So yeah, yeah we had three investors who yeah. uh, who basically split that 500. Yeah. Um, that propped up the balance sheet. Yeah. Um, thought that would be at least a safety net to get through COVID. Yeah. And then... You say get through COVID. We didn't know how long that would be. Had no idea. Were you but, thinking a year in your mind? Uh, I was actually thinking six months, which yeah. is obviously very naive. I thought by September, we'll have probably figured something out where like we'll be out the woods a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think it was naive. I think I was thinking exactly the same with Bournemouth Sevens in 2020. Really? Oh, it'll only be six months. Yeah. We'll get rid of this flu. We'll be back in, on our feet again and away we go. And yeah. obviously that didn't happen. I actually built, I remember building a contingency plan where three months were like zero sales. Yeah. And then months four to six were like 50% sales. Yeah. And then from month seven onwards was like, we're back to back, reality. Back on our feet again. Yeah. So I thought, well, three months would be written off. Yeah. We'll probably have an okay summer. Yeah. And then we'll, we'll sort of pick up the same momentum. Yeah. But very different story in reality. Um, but we we built a website in a couple of weeks in March. Yeah. Um, start selling online, start selling loads of beer online. Yeah. And that basically got us through the pandemic. Brilliant. We're selling in Sainsbury's. We then launched in Waitrose, summer of 2020. Um, so we had two retailers, which was about 40% of the business. Hold on a minute, hold on a minute, let's rewind. We had two retailers. Mate, you had Waitrose and Sainsbury's. Amazing business yeah. for you. Yeah. Amazing model. Well done to you. Yeah, cheers. Yeah, yeah. we knew Waitrose was coming, actually, because, again, that retail lead time, they they listed it in January. Yeah. So we knew that was coming in the summer. Yeah. Um, that kept up the business in some senses, and then online kept up the business in others. That was basically the majority of the rest of the business that yeah. year. yeah. Didn't really drive any growth. We did 2% growth that year, which I was really annoyed with because mm. we had done 300% growth the year yep. before. Um, but we got through. And then in April 21, the pubs opened outdoors. Yep. Um, that summer was still... Iffy, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah affected. But yep. we we were operating again. Um, we obviously then had a bit of a dodgy winter as well. Like Omicron reared its head. Yep. Christmas was pretty much ruined for the hospitality yep. industry. Um, so we had basically six months out of 12 in that financial year where the entree was still heavily affected. Yeah. But we did 100% growth. Actually, we did 130% growth. In the um, pubs? Just overall yeah. as a business. Yeah. So that was a mix of on-trade, off-trade and e-com. Yeah. Um, and that got us through to this financial year where now we're we're on track to do about 160% growth this year. And yeah. um, we're actually performing ahead of plan through the first quarter. 
Uh, so we're coming, well, we are into July now, so we've just done our first quarter. And um, yeah, we're, we're quite far ahead of plan, which is really yeah. good. I, I, I think when I look in it as a as an outsider looking in and you say, oh, the business comes to a halt and it's bad timing. I actually think it's really good timing in a shit time. Mm. So you're 2018, 2019 to build the brand, get investors on board, build the trust, consumers are loving it. Okay, 2020, 2021 come to a, a bit of a halt apart from your online and mm. you're ready to go again. I think you're way ahead of the curve line than most others would be. Yeah, it's. I think you have to just play the hand you've got and mm. there's no point sort of sitting there crying over spilt milk and mm. thinking you know shoulda coulda woulda if things were different where mm. would we be we were where we were mm. you know the pandemic was the pandemic we we explored opportunities that we could we hand built about seven or eight mobile bars yeah. so when pubs were opening outdoors only we wheeled in these like handmade bars that <laughs> I've, I've got paint still all over my favorite pair of gym yeah. shorts um from painting the sides of these bars that drove loads of revenue for us. Online did really well. We got heads around digital and selling online. Mm. We all got into supermarkets to make sure our product was vis visible on the shelf. We had loads of product there. We were grabbing Bold space. Bold and simple. Yeah, we are doing sort of maverick stuff like, you know, well, you're meant to have two cans facing the consumer. Yeah. We just move some stuff to the side and yeah. you know, put six cans facing yeah, yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. we'd do all we could to maximize the revenue in the business in that mm. year. And, and yeah, we lived to tell the tale, mm. but I, I don't know if we were, stronger for it probably were because mm. i think adversity brings people together mm. um i think the team felt like i said to them and in, in march 2020 there might be some shared sacrifice to get through this but i'd rather do that than a few of us don't really sacrifice anything yeah. to then make redundant half of you yeah. um i'd rather just everyone takes a bit of a hit mm. and we try and get through this as a team mm. and all those people are still here brilliant. which is great brilliant you still got your team of nine no we're 21 now you're up to 21 now yeah you? Yeah, yeah. So team's been growing quite a bit, um, which has been great. But How was your experience for Jubel at Bournemouth Sevens this year? Amazing. Mm. Absolutely amazing. I went to Bournemouth Sevens in my final year of uni um, with a mate from Bournemouth. And he said, you've got to come up. It's I think it was it was the May of final year. We'd just finished exams. Uh, it was that end of May, bank holiday. Mm. And he said, you've got to come. It's brilliant. Um, and I loved it. Mm. And when starting Jubel... I always thought Bournemouth Sevens would be an event that I'd love to go to because the the vibe of the festival is exactly what our brand yeah. wants to stand for and the demographic is bang on. Mm. So always wanted to be there and it was it was dream come true to be there this year. It was brilliant. Fantastic. I think you presented yourselves really, really well and the feedback we got from our fans has been mind-blowing as well. Brilliant. Yeah, it's great to hear. I mean, honestly, I think I said this to you over the phone afterwards, you guys were an incredible team to work with. You know, when... When working with event operators, sometimes it's it's a high stress yep. environment because so much relies on one weekend or one day, and stress pushes people to sort of sides of their personality which yep. you might not have seen before. But you guys were the, the calmest team that I think we've ever worked with. Just throughout the whole festival, took everything in stride. You just knew exactly what you're doing, and, yep. and it was a joy to work with you guys. It was it was pretty seamless, yeah. and we loved it. Good man, really good. So, what's the next movements for you as we speak today? We are now in. July 2022. I never like to look and ask people, oh, what's it going to be like in five years, 10 years? Because I just think you, you, no one knows what's going on around the corner. Yeah. If you were to say within the next 12 months, what do you want to achieve in the next 12, 12 months for Jubel? Yeah, good question. I want to... Um, our strategy to some might seem a bit boring. Um, the exciting things people want to hear is we're launching 10 new products or we're exporting to 30 markets. Mm -hmm. We have an incredibly focused strategy because um, time is more precious than cash. So it's a quite boring answer. In the next 12 months, I want to deliver our plan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've got a clear strategy. We've yeah. got a clear plan. We know which people need to deliver what. And essentially, it's continuing to grow through consumer pool. Mm. So I don't want to deliver 160% growth by launching into four new retailers yeah. because that's all pipe fill sales. Yeah. It's not reflective of someone actually going into the shop and picking it up off yeah. the shelf. No one might be doing that, but our top line looks great. Yeah. I want our plan to be from more and more people going into the same stores the ground up. And, and picking more beer off the shelf than yeah. there were last year. Yeah. And that for us is sustainable sales. Mm. So it'll be doing that in Sainsbury's and Waitrose. We're launching on a, a Cardo this month as well. Mm. Um, it'll be doing that through all the, we're in um, 250 pubs on tap, uh, maybe another 300 or so just in the cans, yeah. making sure we're selling twice as much in those pubs. Yeah. 
Um, and then through online, making sure we're continuing to grow our e-commerce sales where quite a lot of other businesses have just sacked it off post pandemic, yeah. but we're still putting the foot down and saying there's an opportunity here. Mm. So it is a little bit of a boring answer, but it's it's actually, I see my job as continuing to make sure the team are focused on the strategy because yeah. it's everyone's like a magpie. Yeah. There's always something that distracts and the new and shiny and yeah. like that looks more interesting, but actually just bringing people back to this is our strategy. Let's go deliver it. Keep business simple. Yeah. Jesse, I think you've got a wonderful brand. I think you've created a, uh, an amazing story from the age of 20 or to your age now, 29. Um, I want to thank you for coming in today and telling your story. Thank you so much for having me. No, yeah. it's been great to chat. Loved it. Just stay in touch and uh, Absolutely. you're a good man. Dodge, thanks so much. Cheers, mate. Cheers, mate. Cheers, Jesse. Bye, mate.